Hello, you're in the Sin Bin with Cindy Nightingale, giving you a snapshot inside sports. I'm a sports photojournalist in Minnesota, bringing you conversations with coaches, athletes, and others about the trending topics and the latest news inside the sports world. Let's get started. Today, we welcome Nicole Tobin into the Sin Bin. She's a Division I softball player, now entrepreneur. Welcome, Nicole. Glad to have you in. Hi, thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, good. Well, um, you were a Jefferson graduate, and um, you went on to play Division I softball. So let's talk about um, how you decided to play that to play at Illinois, um, you know, tell me about that journey for you. Totally. It, I would say when I was in middle school, mm-hmm. when I was an eighth grader, I was playing up on the varsity level. And I just realized that by the time that I was in ninth grade and I made the varsity team, I was like, oh my God, I'm like one of the best in our city and in the state. And so my, I set my dreams really high to the Division One level. And Minnesota isn't known as a softball state, per se. Mm-hmm. So this dream was, like, very big and ambitious compared to a lot of my teammates. Yeah. And so when I, like, started telling people, there were people that were like, I don't know. I don't – you probably can't do this. <laughs> and it took a lot to get recruited. And – to say that it was something Mm -hmm. that at times you're like, are you sure you truly want to do this? Um, It, it ended up being something that definitely shaped who I was. I ended up prioritizing softball over all my other sports. Um, But by the time that I got to the point that I was going around and going to schools, I realized, Oh my God, I'm actually like a sought after recruit. And so at the end, it came down to three schools, Rutgers University, Northwestern University, and University of Illinois. And so at the very end, it was really academics. That's really what it came down to for me is that at at Northwestern, I actually didn't qualify to get in. Um, You probably know that as a student athlete, um, you get like a little bit of a discount or you can get in with a little bit less academics and mm-hmm. they didn't qualify for that. And so University of Illinois ended up being kind of the default choice, but in the best way possible because it ended up being a great fit for me and okay. somewhere where I could really be competitive in the okay. classroom too. Nice. Okay. So you felt you could, you could succeed on <clears throat> in in the classroom, what was your major that you decided to go with when you went to Illinois? I was going in wanting to be an engineer and they were the number four engineering school in the country. And so I was competitive in that. And then I realized, oh my God, I don't want to do this um, in my first year at school. So I ended up switching and going into political science and economics and double majoring instead, which ended up being a really great fit for me. Okay, awesome. So tell us what it was like to play uh, Division One softball. Now, as I recall, you're a cat- you were a catcher? Yes. Okay. So what was it like um, that first year when you went in 
to play at Illinois? So I was going in very starry eyed. I mean, I had built up a tremendous reputation in Jefferson being the captain and being uh, the person who hit the home run that ended up making us go to state for the first time in school history. And nice. then I got there and I was like, oh my God, everybody is that player from their yeah. city, from their state. And, <laughs> oh, and it, wake up, call. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. it's so funny because you're transitioning. And I mean, I was going to a city and a state, a university that I didn't know anybody. So there was also that factor of like, who am I? You know, I mm-hmm. thought I was very clear and confident in who I was. And so that first year, more than anything, it was really like, okay, Nicole, now you're on your own. Who do you want to be? And who do you want to show up as? And especially with a lot of the social aspects that's so different. I was coming from a home where it was like, we prioritize school, sports, and family. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going into these social settings where I'm being put into the first time of like, there's party, there's drinking, (laughs) there's Mm -hmm. drugs. And so you're like navigating all these things. You're like, wait, I thought we were all on the same page that we were all playing to get to this next level um, and understood those sacrifices. So those were the things that were challenging for me to transition. Um, But then I would say over the four years, each time that you go through it, it gets easier in Mm -hmm. some ways because you kind of know the drill. Okay. Okay. So by the time you were senior, you had all this kind of figured out. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And you know, what made it easier was taking people under their wing. Cause once you're like a sophomore, I just ended up seeing and gravitating to the underclassmen and kind of facilitating that, like, you don't need to feel pressured to participate in these types of things. If it makes you uncomfortable or um, just helping them at practice. All right. These are the drills that we're doing. And that just also made me realize it's not, social pressure on myself it's really about us as a team and how we can come together especially all that off the field stuff makes a huge difference on the field are you still uh pretty close friends with a lot of the girls that you played with all those four years I would say we are especially on social media that makes it so much easier to connect Mm -hmm. um and a lot of my friends were out of state kids and so we're spread around the country but we do try to make sure that we make some trips and even alumni weekend is really cool to reconnect with everyone okay so how was your family with all of this because I know you are from a very close tight-knit family with your brothers and your dad and your extended family um did you feel uh a lot of support from them or did you sort of say I want to do this on my own and I'll let you know when I need you here I would say that my freshman year, I have to be honest, I talked to my dad every day, like okay. literally every day after practice or in between classes, I would be like updating him on like the softball journey. And um, I'm sure that other parents, if they're listening to this or softball students can relate that you get invested into this journey of like um, being recruited to play college softball. And even when you're in it, you're like, you know, the teammates and who you're competing against for playing time. Um, so that was how heavily involved he was. But throughout the years, I also ended up realizing like, okay, that, that tight knit relationship that we had also needed to be dismantled a little bit. And 
um, when it comes to my brothers, oh my God, they were people that I relied on a lot when I was just talking about who I wanted to be and how, although I was investing so much time into softball, there's mm-hmm. still this other part of who you are. And I would say that that's also the most challenging thing at the end of my career was pulling away from this athlete identity. That mm-hmm. was really, really challenging. Okay. So did you feel any additional pressures or anything because of your heritage being um, Hispanic, Latina? I did in the sense that we are very prideful, especially Colombians. Mm-hmm. And we're, we really value our family. And like, so for me, when I went to Illinois, I was the first person from Minnesota to go and compete at that university. And okay. so for me, it was really important. Okay, if you if you were the first person with this opportunity, you better work and make sure that you finish the opportunity. And I see that happening a lot more, especially in female sports, that people aren't finishing the four years. Um, either okay. they find adversity and difficulties academically or athletically that just make them stop. So that was probably the most internal pressure that I felt. Okay. So you felt, did you ever feel like I have to be the best all the time? Um, Whether you you were in high school or college, did you feel that pressure? Because some uh, people of color feel like they have to be the best and they can't just be good. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I totally felt that. And if we're talking about in high school first is like, I have this big audacious dream of going and playing at a top 25 program. Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, both academically and athletically, it had to be outstanding. And so when you get those opportunities, they're few and far in between here. Um, I just, I felt even my dad, he would always tell me like, you need to be the best in the state to make this happen. And Mm -hmm. that pressure was a privilege. Yet Mm -hmm. when I then took it to the next level at collegiately, then I was like, how am I supposed to be the best of the best with the people that are the best of the best? Um, because that's a whole new level of performance. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was probably the most challenging part, but my role on the team was to be a pinch hitter. So okay. I, I had a really tough time breaking into the starting lineup, but I would be brought into a pressured situation and then asked to perform. So that was a whole nother skill set that I ended up building and okay. really helped put that in perspective of being the best of the best. No, you need to be the best in this moment. Okay. All right. So you were able to perform under pressure pretty well then, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's move forward from Illinois, and we've graduated, and now what are we going to do? Because we're not engineering anymore. We are political science and economics. So what was our next step? Yeah, so I had ended up going to the career fair, and I was lured in to being a general manager at a Panda Express. And the intention was that to be a general manager would give me a lot of experience so that when I would transition to the corporate world uh, in California, that that would be beneficial. So I was like, okay, perfect. Great. I'll start my career. And it ended up being that I was getting promoted and I was just like, all right, I don't think that I can see myself like living this lifestyle. It was like 50, 60 hour work 
weeks on the weekends at yeah. night. It was, it was just really heavy and it was challenging for me in that moment to be like, what is the reason that I'm doing this? You know, mm-hmm. um, when you come from an athletic background and you end up experiencing such high performance and excellence, then you go into the working world and you're like, Oh my God, I'm starting from essentially zero. Like, yes, the transferable skills, but um, on my resume, when they see like, Oh, I was a division one student athlete. If you didn't play sports, you probably don't know what that truly means. And Mm -hmm. so um, I quickly ended up deciding that I wanted to move home to Minneapolis and I because I got the opportunity to start coaching softball again. And I quickly was like, oh my God, I actually forgot how much I loved coaching. And okay. from there was when I decided that I wanted to start my own business. I think I, okay. I'm someone who enjoys personal development a lot. And so okay. in so many of those uh, webinars, meetings, Zooms, whatever, they, they just – always tell you about the opportunity. And I think there's a lot of parallels into athletics and Mm -hmm. um, being an entrepreneur because there's so many challenges yet. It's also like, if you have your growth mindset, a lot can happen for you. So that's where I started. Okay. Now, when you started coaching again, what sort of things were missing for you that all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, I missed this. And I missed this. And I missed this. What sort of things did you really miss? Cause I can't believe that you would miss like training really hard and you know, that kind of stuff. What specifically did you really enjoy about coaching besides the development part? Yeah, for me, it's the engagement with the softball community. I okay. love being a part of something where we're working on getting better and that that's like, I guess that structure is one of the things okay. I just truly missed. And I also love connecting with the girls. Um, my favorite is to coach high school, which is uh, why I focus on that more than anything. And actually how my um, coaching, like the recruiting process came from was mm-hmm. one of my softball students had asked me after practice, Hey, coach Nicole, how, how did you become a division one softball player? And I just looked at her and like, I can't give her an answer in five minutes that will like truly be able to mentor her and to get that whole process kind of to be understandable. And so Mm -hmm. after that was really when I started to deep dive, okay, like, can I simplify this thing that's so complicated and that there's so much misinformation? So, okay. That's that's when it all started. That was back in 2018. Okay. So uh, 2018, we're now two years out from there. And um, tell me a little bit about uh, your recruiting program. Um, so it's called so- Coach Nicole Softball Students? Correct. Yep. Okay. And a softball student is essentially um, usually a high school player's And I didn't include the word athletes in there because, like I mentioned, that difficulty Mm -hmm. of that expectation of, oh, I'm the person that's always on the grind. But I always call my softball students uh, the people that want to play at the collegiate level. And what I do is my program is called the Recruiting Roadmap. 
and it's a five-phase process to go from being a high school softball student that has the dream of playing college softball, but might be confused and overwhelmed, taking them through step-by-step that process of getting to be recruited to a college of their dreams. It's really the offensive approach to doing so because in the industry or for softball students' families, a lot of them think, oh, the colleges are going to reach out to us and mm-hmm. then we're going to have these <laughs> these options. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is not the case for the grand majority of families. And so I like to say that I'm a person that's realistic with them and also gives them the accountability to let's do the work together. Okay. Do you um, sort of guide them and tutor them or are you uh, also connecting with the different schools that the softball players want to go to? Exactly. So we're connecting um, with the colleges directly. And so like, for example, the phase, the first phase in my recruiting roadmap is targeting 15 colleges One of the things that gets people so overwhelmed is that there's 900 schools to choose from. And so once we, (laughs) yeah, between division one, two, and three. And so once we can make categories, I always like to say there's competitive schools, there's safety schools, and then there's stretch schools. Uh, Sometimes people set themselves up to fail because they're choosing all these stretch schools without recognizing that we want to make sure that we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's and having some in-state schools uh, so that their parents are also at ease. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes, because sometimes we have also different visions. So I always like to also make sure that the parents have a say in what their collegiate experience will be, especially because most of the time they're paying for it. Um, Another thing that is really important to me is that when they are in this recruiting process, we create like a portfolio of emails that showcase who they are and highlight what they have to offer. Because what you're going to notice is that these emails that we send about their extracurriculars, about their softball skills, about um, things that they do in the community are also going to be key emails that they can use to then apply for scholarships that are outside of softball because Realistically, there's only 11.7 scholarships for about 20, 25 girls on a team. And so to think that you're going to get a full ride is setting yourself also up to fail. And Mm -hmm. so I I also really help build that intellectual property is might be a good word to say um, so that then you can also have that for applying for scholarships additionally. Okay. So how many girls do you work with at a time or do you not have a limit on how many you can work with? Yes, I actually work with 10 girls at a time because it's so time intensive. One of the things that most people don't understand about the recruiting process is a lot of it is based on momentum and timing. And so the high season for us is usually May, as soon as the World Series is done, um, up to the beginning of school. And okay. because that's the that's where the biggest focus is for college coaches. Yet, if you are already in communication with them, it's usually until November. Once we get around Thanksgiving and Christmas, things all start to shut down. Okay. Okay. 
has um, COVID kind of skewed everything for you? Because um, I know there were probably a lot of schools that locked down and didn't have seasons uh, this past spring. So has that compressed things or how are you dealing with that going forward? Yeah, the thing that first happened when when COVID came around and the college season was canceled, um, that ended up mm, causing shifts with the scholarships for the upcoming class. But now for my softball students that are a little bit younger and just getting started with their process, it was more challenging for them to get seen because softball was still going on, um, Mm -hmm. like social distance wise, but coaches weren't going out to as many tournaments and camps camps is a big way to get recruited um, in softball to be seen. And those were all canceled. So the importance of having a good highlight video was more important than ever. Okay. Now, do you help with this highlight video or is this something you sort of instruct them on how to set it up? Most of them are able to do it on their own. It just takes a tripod or a parent um, video recording them. Uh, More than anything, I really help them make sure that it's good quality video. And what I mean is that it highlights that this is the skills that they want uh, the coaches to be seen. And once it's more than anything, also repeating and getting a lot of eyes on the video. So more than anything, people think that, oh, I'm going to email the coach once or twice, and then I'm going to hear back. Um, There's a lot of (laughs) touch points (laughs) that you definitely need to build that relationship. So that's where a big portion of uh, the recruiting roadmap is helpful is how do I stay consistent in that okay. communication plan? Okay. So this is mostly um, player driven and not so much parent driven. Um, yeah. Okay. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, because I think that's another huge misconception that uh, girls have when they come into it and even parents Because I always like to tell them, you know, college coaches go through this process year after year. And Mm -hmm. you get one shot to make that happen. And so you want to make sure that you want to make sure that you do your best to be proactive in that. And that actually comes down to the student athlete. And I always press that you have your college experience. Although I'm going to be helping you, although your parents will be also guiding you, you want to make sure that this is a place that you feel is the school of your dreams. And so that's where all this mentoring is one-on-one with the student because um, we keep the parents in the loop, but I want to make sure that they are also the ones that are gaining the most confidence from the decision-making that goes on in this process. Okay. Are there some, say um, you have a girl who wants to pitch or you have another girl that, you know, is more of a, a field player, you know, um, mm-hmm. out in the outfield and stuff. Does the recruiting process, is it a little bit different if you're a pitcher as opposed to an everyday player or if you're really known more for your bat than you are for your field skills? How do you address that? With the, yeah. with 
I mean, would you, would you steer, say a girl wanted to pitch, would you steer her to a different school than you would say someone who wants to catch? Not necessarily steer her to a different school, but the approach, one of the things that I always like to say when we're qualifying, what is a target school? What is one of the dream schools that you're going to go after? We always look at the roster and okay. based off of what position you want to go after, we make sure that there's actually going to be some openings there. So pitchers and catchers are best in luck because you need four pitchers and four catchers um, in each program. Because okay. they always say pitching wins the games. And so when we look at the roster and there is opportunity there, that gives you the best shot to play at that school. Now, if you are an infielder, the thing I always recommend is can you be flexible in that position to make sure that when you get there, you also have playing time because a lot of players switch positions in college. And so coaches are looking for the, those people that are utilities overall. And for okay. outfielders, they're looking for people with speed. And so mm -hmm. um, people who can track down the ball and who are just speedy quick to cover a lot of ground. So um, throughout, I think everybody has a fair chance to make it on the team. It's more than anything being able to highlight and to showcase who you are. I, I think a lot of people get the misconception on like, oh, if I don't have the softball skills, I won't make it on the team. There was okay. plenty of people my four years that I ended up playing with that enjoyed being on the team but weren't the star on the team. But they still made it into the program because they're still contributing to that team aspect. Um, so I always like to say that people should doubt less on if they can make the program mm -hmm. because there's always an opportunity to be a part of the team. Okay. So when you were deciding that you wanted to do this, did you, before you jumped in, did you, part of, was part of your research talking with some of the college coaches? I did consult my college coaches and everyone that I talked to was like, there's such a need for this. Okay. Um, also with travel ball coaches, because as a travel ball coach, it's challenging enough to help your girls um, on the field and mm -hmm. with the tournaments and making the lineups and all this stuff. And by the end of this travel ball season, you're just like, I'm so tired. Um, but to give that additional resource of off the fields, like let me cater and work with you one-on-one -on -one just isn't realistic. And for mm -hmm. the travel ball, or sorry, for the collegiate coaches, a lot of them just said, we're just looking for like, a streamlined way for them to communicate with us. Okay. Sometimes they're just so all over the place and sometimes they're just reliant on these uh, websites that allow them to post their videos, which aren't an easy way for them to get seen as even though that's what they're intended for. So it's just more than anything, what I've learned through helping all these girls is that it's difficult for them to realize that there's work to be done to get recruited outside of the field work. So sometimes they don't realize that just scheduling an hour a day to work on it um, is putting them in a position to actually making it happen. Okay. So 
now that you have done this for a couple of years, what have been the biggest challenges for you in being an entrepreneur? The biggest challenge for me as an entrepreneur is piecing all of the different hats that you wear together. So okay. it's like, for me, <laughs> for me, I'm very much so the visionary. Like I, I know what I want. I know what direction to go into. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be switching from sales and marketing and finance, it's so many different balls that you're juggling. So mm-hmm. it's, I've learned how to uh, prioritize some things over another, but each quarter, I would say, I think that. I've just learned that more than anything, it's putting yourself out there. I always relate it back to softball. I just think, go back to the basics. Just pretend you're hitting off the tee, especially Mm -hmm. when there's a lot of things going on. (laughs) Um, And learning to take breaks. I think that's the other thing, especially as a solo entrepreneur, is realizing it doesn't all need to be done right away. Yeah. Yes. You need to give yourself a, a little bit of a break. So have you relied on your, uh, your family a little bit to help you with this venture? Yes. Um, my dad, I would say I've relied on him for, well, one, I'm living at home. So that also just makes it so much easier mm-hmm. um, because financially. And then for my older brother, we live together and his uh, perspective of, He's more happy-go-lucky, as you know, as you're just kind of a goofball. <laughs> so yes. he always gives that perspective of, like, it's not that serious, Nicole. Like, I know it seems <laughs> important, but it's going to be okay. And then for, uh, I would say, my younger brother, Danny. Uh, Danny always gives me the business perspective of, like, an outsider, which okay. has been really, really helpful. Like, Sometimes you're so into it um, and in the nitty gritty details that you tend to forget that big picture. And that's what he's been doing for me and really supportive, especially at the beginning, because you have so many ideas and so many unknowns. Uh, that was really helpful. Yeah, well, that's good. It's, it sounds like everybody's pitching in, trying to help you succeed and make this work because it is tough work. It is, it, it's hard to get a business started, especially in this day and age, you know. Yeah. Do you, um, the social media piece, uh, you know, obviously social media is, is huge everywhere. Has that been a, a help for you or a hindrance? I think it's been really helpful because I would say that's where my community is the strongest. Okay. Um, my Instagram community is where I really connect with a lot of my softball students and where I've met, um, people from all over the States and even internationally have reached out to me there because they kind of like the way that I set it up. I use my polls a lot to interact with everyone, a Mm -hmm. lot of DMS and the live videos, the girls really, really love. And so for me, those are easy ways to stay in contact and engage the community. Um, a little bit on Facebook too for parents that has been super helpful for them. And now we're getting to the point where I'm, I'm even 
doing live webinars where we just walk through some of the things that have been challenging and some of these myths that I've been talking about Mm -hmm. uh, today throughout the, the podcast that makes it challenging for somebody who's a beginner or just going through this for the first time. Okay. Because we know you're not that old yet. So this is, I think you being on the younger side also helps these girls realize that you do know what you're talking about because you're not that far removed from college. Yeah. And I think that's my it factor. I mean, people Mm -hmm. love um, that I've been there, that I've done that, that I'm close in age to the girls, that I'm a role model. I take that responsibility really seriously. And I, I just love it. I think it's so cool when they have that aha moment. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that you would only see that on the field when you were training with someone. Um, but now that I see it in their progression as they're going through this one-on-one mentoring that I offer, I see the changes in their confidence. I see it, um, how they're more decisive. And that's been the most exciting thing to see them as they're making progress towards their dream. No, oh, awesome. Awesome. I think that is awesome. Do you, um, are you still involved in coaching with girls in the city or have you, you're just strictly doing just this recruiting piece now? I'm still coaching in the community. I have my catchers and I go um, anywhere from like 10 years old all the way up to 18 years old. So it is fun to go back to the beginning. Um, It makes me remember started this and who I'm doing this for. Um, So I I enjoy it. And it's, it's a nice change of pace too. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, If someone wanted to contact you to, uh, you know, engage in your services, um, what would be the best way for them to contact you? The best way to contact me is you can email me at softballstudents at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at softball students or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash softball students. Okay. And all you do is DM me and then we can go from there. We schedule a one-on-one 30 minute consultation. That way we can get to know one another. We can design your daughter's dream. What does it look like for her to go to college and commit to a college softball program? And the mentorship program that I offer is a eight week course where we meet one-on-one five days a week. And what that does is it helps us create the energy and momentum um, for your daughter to feel confident and to contact the coaches and build that relationship. And yeah, in that 30 minute consultation, we would go over more details on that program. Yeah. Well, that is awesome. So I will also add those, um, uh, your websites, I mean, your, uh, your social media um, connections in the, uh, the podcast so that people can contact you if they're interested in your services. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, um, where do you see, I, I know you're in the throes of doing everything now, but do you have any, um, ideas of where you'd like to expand from here? Yes. So softball students, I'm excited for 
2021, we're looking to do more live events. Okay. Um, also, I will be touring next summer, going to the tournaments and hosting like seminars. That is the next phase of softball students. Awesome. I love doing everything online right now um, during this time, but being out there and in the community is a lot more impactful mm-hmm. and to see the transformation of girls uh, within a day or two event is something that I'm looking forward to. Awesome. Look at you wanting to get back out there in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You can't, you just can't be an entrepreneur without just touching the dirt when you play softball. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, I think that's awesome. It, you know, I I truly applaud you for um, parlaying your passion of softball into your business, into uh, what you want to do with your life. I think that is awesome. So to me, um, it sounds like, you know, the sky's the limit because you can expand, you can partner, you can... You know, you can add staff. I mean, I think there's there's so many possibilities for you. And um, for girls of color, this is awesome. It's You're a great role model to show them that you can do this. And um, you're doing it online right now. But, you know, when you get out there and you get in person, um, you know, I think that's going to be awesome. I think the girls are really going to uh, be drawn to you to do this. So, I I applaud you. Thank you. you. I am so excited. And yes, just like you said, there's so much need one for even more diversity in softball. And it's been coming up a lot now with everything that's been going on this summer, which Mm -hmm. just has everybody's heart so heavy and Mm -hmm. makes you really think about it. And so I'm excited. It's, it's, hard to be patient that is the thing I'm learning so one thing at a time and I I look forward to the day when I can expand and one thing in due time (laughs) yes I mean you have to one foot in front of the other take it slowly but it will build people will come to you I I have no doubt I I think I'm very excited for where you're going to be headed and uh what's you know the next pieces uh to your uh your business I think it's going to be great Thank you so much. And thank you so much for interviewing. Thank you for listening to The Sin Bin. I'm your host, Cindy Nightingale. Please subscribe to listen to future episodes.